0: everyone, and welcome back to Season 3 of Everyday Theology. We're super stoked to be back, to have a great lineup of guests, some people really excited to talk with. And when I say we, if you're a follower of Everyday Theology, if you listen to our teasers, you know that by we I mean I've got a new co-host. And that co-host is Chris Green. He's going to be joining me for Season 3 to be a consistent voice And having these conversations. He's brilliant. He's one of my favorite dialogue partners and all things theological. And so I'm excited to have him join me as we engage with some theologians, with some pastors, with some people in other disciplines and other fields, some creatives and thinkers. We're just real excited about having some great conversations, thinking about how theology engages with our everyday life. You might also notice that the podcasts look longer this season, and it's not because the The interviews are any longer than they have been in the past. But actually, Chris and I have taken the time to just have some separate kind of conversations outside of our interviews. That could be conversations about something that happened in the podcast. It might be about a movie. It might be about art. It might be just about kind of pop Christian culture. Who knows? Chris and I, we... we, talk a lot and we can engage in a lot of conversations in thinking about kind of our church world and our theological world and kind of what's going on. So we invite you to kind of stick around and just hear those conversations. They're a bit more open and a bit more conversational as it's just me and him having conversations, sometimes disagreeing, sometimes agreeing, joking around and having fun as we are kind of in season three together. So I'm hoping that we hope that you're going to enjoy this season. We've had so much fun recording it so far, and we're just so excited to be back and to be with you again. So welcome and join along as we explore in season three of Everyday Theology. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. Today's gonna be a little bit different because Chris Green and I we had some uh, traveling schedule kind of conflicts. We weren't able to get together for this week's recording, um, but I hope I hope uh, that by bringing my guest today, it kind of makes up a little bit for not having Chris. Um, although because. We were all colleagues at one point. He may disagree, but my guest this time is uh, Dr. Yoon Shin. How are you doing, Yoon?
1: I'm doing great. I'm get to I get to talk to my friend, so it's a good day.
0: Look at that, made me smile. You said friend. <laughs> um, Yoon is a, an associate professor of uh, philosophical theology. He did his dissertation and his PhD work at the University of Aberdeen. So it kind of makes him a little bit competing with me at the University of Birmingham, being both UK schools. We kind of, and the actually probably the most annoying thing is that Yoon started after me and finished before me. So, <laughs> you know.
1: I won't rub that in.
0: <laughs> it's too late. It's very much too late. Um but Yoon, thanks so much for, for being with me today. Hey, before we start into our topic, which uh, if people saw the podcast, they've already seen what this is going to be about, but before we dive into the topic, just tell us a little about yourself, family, background, whatever you want to dive into to let our listeners know a little more about you.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Aaron. Um, it's it's a joy to, to talk to you again. I, I miss having you here around, um, so uh, it's just a... Honor to be on your podcast. Um, yeah, so, so I'm, um, I'm teaching, uh, at my alma mater and, uh, you know, today we're going to be talking about truth. And I would say my, you know, my understanding of truth is not merely informed by, you know, what I've read and what I've learned, but uh, I I think it's informed by my own life experiences too, uh, because I I my view on truth, as we talk about it later, is a bit more holistic um, than your your uh, everyday kind of common view of truth as a propositional truth, which I've you know there's a very um, uh, important element about truth as propositional but truth is broader than that um right. right and you know my my experience as being an immigrant uh growing up in uh, in two different countries you know i have i'm a i'm a cross cultural kid a third culture kid so my identity is hybrid you know it's not just of one element i right. when i'm in korea i'm not fully korean i'm very much American, but when I'm in America, I'm not fully American either. You know, I can attest um, to that.
0: No, I'm just kidding. You are that's why you much love me. Fully American, exactly. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh and and my faith journey has been hybrid as well. When when I when I was growing up, uh, I wasn't a Christian, but um, and I kind of rebelled in the faith against the faith when I was in high school, but I grew up attending in Korea, a Methodist church. And then when we immigrated and we moved to Florida, I went to a Baptist church. These are all Korean churches, by the way. Uh, and then went, and then my parents uh, went to a Presbyterian church. I got saved when I was in the military, in the Navy. And the very first church I, I attended um, was an African-American church. Uh, Well, that was like right before I got saved. God was drawing me in. And then when I got saved, I went to a church right down the road. I didn't know what it was, but it was church. So I went and it was like, it's a neo-Pentecostal charismatic, uh, neo-charismatic church. And like people were speaking in tongues and Mm -hmm. there was this guy, you know, flapping his arms like, like he's a bird. And I'm (laughs) I'm thinking, what is going on? (laughs) and then and you know and and then my brother finds out that I'm I'm I became a Christian so he sends me uh the confessions by Augustine and he he introduces me to John Piper and whatnot um and so when I when I started uh going to um my alma mater for my bachelor's degree I I didn't even know what Pentecostalism was Hmm. because I my first uh initial um, entrance to to Christianity was through the reform movement right and that never really left me all of my in fact, all of my family members are presbyterian except me i think i'm the only one who's not presbyterian well, and, yeah
0: but, so Reform trajectories where you went off the rails a little bit you need to go all <laughs> the way back fix some yeah. things and then we'll be okay
1: but now you understand me better. I do. I do. <laughs> Thank I you. Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, I even did some grad studies at Reformed Theological Seminary. I got my graduate certificate in theological studies. Did my, you know, I, I did my dissertation under um, a fabulous supervisor who is also reformed. Um, so, so I'm a Pentecostal. I'm, I'm classical Pentecostal. I'm uh, licensed with the Assemblies of God, and uh, I'm very much at home with the Assemblies of God and its theology. But there is a side of me that's very much Reformed. I mean, I, 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 in fact, I told someone today, you know, if I can find a Presbyterian church that's charismatic and does not subscribe to Dort and Westminster, then I would be very much at home there too. Um, you know, in in some, some ways.
0: You just threw out a bunch of words that maybe the listeners don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's also okay. It's also, we'll just, we're going to move right. All these reformed kind of confessions and statements of, of faith or statements of kind of agreement, right. Um, Historic and non-historic, but yeah, but so yeah, sorry. Keep going.
1: Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is that my, my, Personal identity uh, is hybrid; it's Korean and American, and my faith journey and my intellectual journey has also been hybrid. Um, right. And I don't, I, I, I don't, I find myself comfortable in both camps, but also not fully comfortable in both camps. Right. And I've, I've been able to draw from the strengths and recognize, recognize the weaknesses of both of these traditions and from there i've you know um i've become an integrationist i try to integrate and synthesize um trying to construct a more holistic more robust more full um type of philosophy or theology and and hence that's why i was saying like my view on truth has been very much informed by my own personal journey yeah uh, and intellectual journey
0: yeah and I think that's, you know, that's unique for, for a lot of people who may be listening, who don't kind of, who hadn't grown up in those dual worlds, kind of these kind of dual realities. Right. Um, and, and, you know, double consciousness, maybe that we might say from W.E.D. Bois right. This kind of idea of there are different worlds in which you inhabit that inform the way in which you approach. I mean, some people use the term worldview other kind of other kind of words are thrown out there all the time about any kind of topic including truth which you know in a western perspective is definitely different than in an eastern perspective as we talk about truth but let's kind of maybe just start because that is our topic today right we are talking about what is truth how do we think about truth especially in terms of where we are today in a culture if we're talking mainly kind of american culture uh, in the united states i know i have listeners from kind of all over the world so you know this may not be the same case study for you but for us in this kind of in this part of the world we're dealing with a lot of disinformation we're dealing with a lot of a lot of truth being relative, which is going to be one of the most unique things for me. And maybe we can get into it about how the church that used to hate relativism or at least kind of push back so much have actually fully engaged with relativism. Right. Um, and have used it as the linchpin for the way they discuss things. And, and, and so there's a lot to discuss when we talk about truth, but maybe let's start from the very beginning. When we talk about truth, you've already kind of thrown out one word, propositional truth. What are the different ways? which someone can approach this word truth to define what it means.
1: Yeah. I think most people, uh, well, I don't want to say most, but at least a lot of people in the type of circle that we often have it, uh, Pentecostal evangelical or whatnot. Um, they often think of truth, uh, as data fact, as propositional as something that's out there. Um, right that we are trying to grasp onto with our words, somehow our words hook onto reality. And as long as our words are hooking onto reality correctly, we've got it. And that is the absolute truth. And of course, if something is absolutely true, anything that is, uh, that, uh, is deviant of that would be false, or perhaps even absolutely false. And and that language, I think it also, and that the mindset, the imagination, the worldview behind the term absolute truth that undergirds uh, the, and gives impetus that to use the type of words like absolute truth and giving priority to uh, the data fact or propositional truth um, can be very much divisive the, you know, language creates meaning for us. And if we, if we use the word absolute truth, right. As an everyday vocabulary, it creates easy barriers or boundary markers to uh, divide people into, yeah. you know, two different camps.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's really important probably because that language is used in the church at large in, in the U S especially the evangelical and Pentecost churches, like you mentioned, this idea of absolute truth, really and really what's often being said then, if we kind of pair that with this idea of propositional truth, right? Data facts, statements, things that, that we may not be able to prove, but we actually kind of act as if they're provable, right? That when we throw this term out there, absolute truth, what we really mean is, I know absolutely the truth right and that creates so much struggle between the church and science the church and any kind of other world view right that i think maybe we can get into some of that too so right what other ways then if this is one way that often the church has engaged with i wouldn't even call it scientific truth right because we can't talk about truth in that sense Even in terms of data to go, look, I can figure out, you know, what elements make up water, right? H2O. That can be a scientific truth that I can prove by showing you elements and what the elements are and how they combine, and now we've got water, right? We can't do that when it comes to God and saying, Here is my scientific proof. So we use absolute truth or propositional truth and say, here's some propositional truth statements, right? So what other what other approaches are there to truth? that have typically been ignored by the church but exist in other circles.
1: Yeah, um let me let me just make a quick comment to what you also said regarding yeah. like scientific truth but we can't really apply that to God. Uh so we use this language of absolute truth. Well in in some circles, you know, in let's say in like in evidentialist circles or mm-hmm. classical apologetic circles, you can prove God's existence. Like God, yeah, and yeah. and hence God, the existence of God is an absolute truth.
0: And and by, by saying you can prove it, maybe we qualify that by saying they believe they can prove it. Yeah. Right. Because I don't think you would agree that they can prove it, but yeah. they claim that they can prove it with scientific evidence. Right. Yeah. We're so at
1: most, you know, yeah, no, go ahead.
0: No, 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 you go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to be, to be fair, you know, some people will say, well, you know, these arguments can't prove God's existence, but they act as proofs for God's existence. Hmm. You know, so they, you know, they try to make a lesser, um, less stronger, a little bit weaker claim, which makes the claim a little bit stronger. But still, the, the logic behind the thought is still the same, that our minds can grasp truth in an absolute manner in a way that, you know, the, the, the many of the reformed. Uh, Apologetics camp, whether that's like presuppositionalism or reform epistemology, um, which for some of our readers, they may not know, but there are two types of apologetic methods or schools, um, broadly speaking, that uh, have have pushed back against other kind of older uh, forms of apologetics. And and saying that God in that in those types of other apologetics uh, schools, God becomes mere conclusion of an of a hum, of human reason, like right. God's existence is uh, is dependent on what human mind can prove. And I would say that's a that's a valid critique.
0: Yeah, right. Because again, if we try to reason our way to God. You know if we start from the the premise that we are flawed people our reason will always be flawed and if God is a perfect God our reason towards God is going to be imperfect right I mean there's no way to reason to that and that makes that makes good sense although I wouldn't necessarily follow presuppositionalism you know for for a lot of things that you and I both know in our conversations but again I want to get back to you know what is if 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 we have a version of truth that we that we talked about that is bound to data or belief of data and saying that this means that God can exist or this means we can get to truth, what other approaches are there to truth that might actually be helpful that, again, the church often ignores?
1: Yeah, so uh, this is where I think both the Pentecostal side and the Reformed side uh, very much agree on and I saw this in the teachings uh, especially of dr. John frame uh, at RTS and he's the reason why I went to RTS um, and what I uh, learned um, in my Pentecostal education too um, this you know the reform side has 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 had us very especially in the the lineage of like Abraham Kuiper has understood religion um, And faith kind of holistically, not just mere about mere belief, but that we are to live for God, Coram Deo, before the face of God, you know, our whole being uh, must submit to God. And therefore, like all thinking begins from faith. It's not that faith must be proven by our mind as as, as Descartes or even maybe like evidentialist apologetics or whatnot might presuppose, Um, you know, everything begins from faith. And so we have to think of truth as arising from faith. But once again, uh, like our approach to truth can't merely be from the mind because the mind isn't the only thing that that uh, serves God. It's not the only thing that submits to God. All of our – the whole self must submit to God. And so right. um, there's a sense in which um, we must uh, – to have right knowledge of God, we must have orthodoxy. Right belief, uh, ortho, um, orthopathos, right affections or right emotions, um, and orthopraxis, right uh, action, right practice, right living, um, and it it is in that kind of triadic um, ortho, like living. In which we can arrive at a, a more full, a fuller understanding of truth, and you know, and 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 Pentecostal scholars are saying that too. Like, uh, if you look at Stephen Land and his his uh, definition of Pentecostal spirituality, is one in which um, orthodoxy and orthopraxy are integrated in orthopathos. Like, you need all three, and and those two are reflected. Right you know, through uh, orthopathos. Um, and, and of course, uh, uh Ken Archer kind of modifies this also beautifully saying that those three combined should lead to, um, uh, right worship too. So we are worshiping beings. We have faith and we ought, we must, um, uh, participate in god's truth which is about god and also all of god's world from this kind of holistic perspective and pentecostals would say this is the method of living out our spirituality right if so as christians then how we approach truth should not be merely about right doctrine or right belief Uh, so orthodoxy we must Think about truth from the perspective of orthodoxy, orthopathos, orthopraxis. Right. Um yeah. And John Frame would say that, yeah, you can't have those three things without the others. Like Which- you can't have right belief unless you have right affections, unless you love God, unless uh, you are living rightly, but you can't live rightly without having right beliefs and right emotions. And you can't have right emotions unless you have right beliefs and right action. So they're all very much needed in order for us to not just know truth, but participate in truth.
0: Which, which for, for maybe some of our listeners, you know, that, that sounds great. and, Sounds helpful, right? If we think about truth in this kind of holistic sense of mind, body, active, action, reality, right? Um, and, And our emotions, sounds great. But the implications are actually rather large when we tease out those implications. And, and there's some good implications and there's some that we still have to struggle with as, as if we're talking about these as Christian, we're still going to have to deal with it, such as maybe we'll get onto that later. We can easily disqualify anyone who's not a Christian from any ability to understand truth. If we start from this idea of right worship that Ken Archer starts from, right? Like this idea of this kind of acting upon, uh, this right worship, But it also really engages in very distinct ways because it it helps us recognize that the way that we've engaged with the world has something to say about truth just as much as a propositional truth statement, such as Jesus is Lord, right? Yep. So explain that some for our listeners. Like, how is it that this way of thinking actually reorients, and what does it open us up to in the inclusion of what we might say is truth?
1: Yeah, boy, you said a lot there. Um, Hopefully I don't forget. So one part is, once again, drawing from the Reformed and the uh, the Pentecostal, you said, well, you know, if we're talking kind of in this... A paradigm of a Christian approach to truth, and what about non-Christians? Well, this is where I would use—I would, one, rely on the Reformed view of common grace— and this Augustinian idea that all truth is God's truth, and therefore we can find truth in non in in uh, non Christian worldviews, imaginations, systems of thought, and whatnot. Um, and this is, and of course, and then we can bring that from the Pentecostal perspective, and maybe like Amos Young, and say this is well, this is pneumatological. Right, God is in all things through the Spirit, and we need to discern God's voice, and therefore, like. Right, orthodoxy, and uh, so if we want to get orthodoxy, we have to, I think, realize that we can't get orthodoxy until we get ortho pathos and orthopathos requires loving our neighbors, even those who are not um, uh, Christians. Right, they can be our Samaritans, but we if if we don't have right pathos about non-Christians and their ability to have truth, and even truth that we may lack, then we don't we have pathos, but they're not ortho-pathos, which will hinder our ability to to obtain right belief to the right. truth propositional truth or whatnot. And you know, yeah, right emotions. No, but you can't have right emotions about god's creation unless we're living out that love we're living out the right desires and being directed toward the other our neighbors so we need the ortho orthopraxis to come in to relate with people who are different from us so that we can rightly discern the spirit's voice that's being um that's evident through god this pneumatological grace, right. yeah so so there's there's that um Oh, and yeah, there was so much, I forgot the other point.
0: (laughs) I mean, I can talk, right? But I think you bring up a great point. And, and, And I mean, we're getting to what I was talking about anyways. And it's clear that you are postmodern, right? And I think we need to actually clearly define for the listeners something that has often been a misnomer, that relativism is postmodernism. Right. And I mentioned relativism at the top of the podcast about how the church is engaged with this often has now been engaging with this method of truth. But you're talking about postmodern truth, which is different and engages with the person, the whole of the person, right? Then more than just the mind, which would be more of a modernistic approach to truth. So explain the difference between a postmodern truth. I mean, we've, you've talked a little bit about it here and a relativistic truth and how, how we don't need to be afraid of postmodernistic truth, but we still need to be wary of relativism.
1: Yeah, in fact, the book that, that um, I'm getting published with, Lexington Books, is about this kind of possibility or the contour, the outline of a postmodern Christian epistemology um, that, I, that I build upon uh, through the ideas of James K.A. Smith, who's over at Calvin uh, university and also Pentecostalism and uh, Reformed epistemology of Alvin Plantinga, and Nicholas Wolterstorff, and whatnot. So yeah, people people think that postmodernism is uh, relativism, but um, it's almost like saying Penteco- like assemblies of God is Pentecostalism. Well, obviously not. Pentecostalism has many different stripes and just globally speaking um, we know that they, they're all very different. Um, There isn't even uh, a core element that they share because even if they use the same language, the way they understand it and live out that element can look very different. Right. Um, And so I I talk about um, like family resemblances regarding Pentecostalism's and so the same thing for postmodernisms, there there are, yeah, some I would say some postmodernisms are nihilistically relativistic. I mean, they go full uh, into uh, you know, into, truth is all relative you get to, and not just intellectually but also morally you get to create your own truth you get to create what's good you right. know in this kind of desperate attempt to live live in a pluralistic society which is really impossible um but like the 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 post of let's say j Aaron, uh simmons who's a fantastic Pentecostal philosopher over at Furman University, a good friend uh, of Merrill Westfall and whatnot, like they, they do not um, deny objective reality. And many, many people who have this uh, caricatured view of, of postmodernism think that Postmodernism necessarily denies the existence of objective reality. That reality is, is just what I create to be. Right. But no, it's uh, kind of. I would say a more robust postmodernism recognizes that there is objective reality, but that we all approach the world through our own hermeneutical filter, our interpretive lenses. Hmm. I mean, if explain that.
0: Explain that real quick.
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's really to use, to use Christianese, uh, the language that many of us are used to, it's just worldview, it's worldview talk. And hence, because of that, you know, there, there have been sectors within Christianity and whatnot, um, where there was resistance to worldview talk, because worldview kind of historically speaking, um, and, and, and David Nagel has a really good book on worldview, um, where worldview that does, it does talk about, Kind of rel- this relativistic sense because you can't because now we can interpret the world from my angle and right. everyone has their angle and we can all just kind of say well that's yours and this is mine we can just agree to disagree right um so in in the kind of sim- the most simplest sense uh we all wear um particular lenses to understand reality, and we could call that culture, we could call that tradition, we could call that our family and friends, our reading of scripture. This even the the Wesleyan quadrilateral, that, that theology is the product of not just only reading scripture, but of the use of our reason and how we use reason and how we've been trained to use reason Which is now we're talking about tradition, what our tradition has taught us about about God and just about theology in general and our own personal and communal experiences. Like that itself is very much postmodern in saying that we don't approach God's truth from a blank slate, from a neutral perspective that's purely objective.
0: Yeah. And, and I think a strength there, when we think about kind of postmodern or what, you know, you and I have talked a lot about and my approach being more of a different term called metamodern. It's that, the same thing, man. Uh, well, you <laughs> think it is. I don't. And here we go. We're not debating on this podcast, but I appreciate you pushing back. <laughs> um, a strength, right? When we actually approach truth through this lens of recognition that who we are as people how we engage within reality how we engage with the world helps us to recognize truth there's a there's a a lived reality of sitting down at a table with somebody, having a conversation about their reality, how they've engaged, that can help me better grasp something that is ungrasp, ungraspable, that, that cannot be fully grasped, right? Yeah. Uh, which is why Gregory of Nyssa would often talk about being grasped by faith rather than grasping faith, right? Like being grasped by God rather than grasping God, because we can't do that work, but we can be grasped by God and, and approaching truth in this way and recognizing that who we are as people helps inform how we engage and get to that truth in flawed ways Demands that I talk to someone who has a different reality, who has different worlds, that has different worldview, that is an immigrant, that has had different educational experiences, that claims to be reformed, even though I fight him about this all the time. And I and we sit down and have a conversation. And as Chris and I had, had a conversation in a, in a previous podcast, you know. It's not so much that that conversation I would walk away from any of our conversations together, you and I, and we've had many, none of them have I ever walked away and been like, Yoon's right. I'm changing my mind and Yoon is right. I failed. I know. Sorry, (laughs) but there is definitely an effect that you have had on the way that I engage with things because of those conversations, right? That lived reality, that experience and hearing your experience hearing your perspective has inevitably changed me right if i'm open and, and, and
1: to and the, and the thing is that exchange was not merely with about reason right i mean they were rational dialogues but we weren't we weren't even having them over Zoom, we were doing this, you sitting in front of me, we're, you know, we're, we're sharing this space together. We were, there was an experiential, embodied, affective, emotional component right. to those dialogues. And that, those things play a role in shaping our openness to ideas, you know, so right. that even if we disagree because we have this great relationship, we still, we respect the idea, Right. So, so that, you know, if I was saying the same thing, let's say that there's there's another person who believes the same thing as you, but we have a very um, diametrically opposed type of relationship. We have an adverse a, a adversarial relationship. Those emotions will play a pivotal role in that person's hard rejection of my ideas, even, right. you know. So, so this this is why I like postmodernism. Postmodernism is really a going back to pre-modernity, before the time of Descartes, but recognizing that modernity did happen. We did have this revolution in uh, the theory of knowledge, um, the revolution, industrial industrial revolution, you know, the
0: scientific revolution, 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 right?
1: Yeah, all that, yeah. But going back to Uh, pre-modernity, where reality or being had precedence over human knowledge, which modernity flipped over by saying human knowledge is what's most important. Like Descartes, I I think, therefore I am. You know, postmodernism is going back to the priority of being again. So you have like uh, Martin Heidegger's uh, idea of the Dasein, of being in the world. We have to start from from ourselves as embodied beings, right? And so our approach to truth must recognize that we are uh, we're embodied, and because we're embodied, we are spatially and temporally located in one place, and right. therefore we cannot achieve absolute truth. Because to have absolute truth means that we have uh, we can see things from outside of our perspective, right? Which is Impossible,
0: and and I think again, there's so many incredible implications to this, both we're really in in our in our kind of Christian realities, right? And to be clear, neither you nor I would argue that there is no such thing as absolute truth. We might just back it up by saying, but there is no such thing as getting to absolute truth absolutely, right? We we cannot have absolute truth. Absolutely. Whatever perception of truth that we have is always going to be flawed. Thus we need conversations. Thus we need reading. Thus we need to study. Thus we need, you know I mean? To live in a world and have good emotions and, and everything. But when we start thinking about this in terms of Christian applications to things, it it has, it kind of has fingers into everything, things like missions work right? Talk about everyday theology, right? To think about how we approach truth in more of a postmodern sense affects the way that we think about how God may be engaging with a group of people who've never heard the English version of a Hebraic name, Jesus, right? Because we recognize that truth is broader than this one kind of very shortened sense that we've given it do do i am i off here or how are you trying no it? no no
1: i mean so if if we are going to be very modernist and really emphasize propositional truth as the standard of truth then of course what becomes most important for our faith is right belief and hence people have been have, have been killed for right belief right and so and and actually you know a postmodern uh, theologian uh, named uh, George Lindbeck who was one of the the founders of post-liberalism which is mm-hmm. a postmodern view of religion and doctrine you know he 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 has this very famous um, analogy or, or or yeah analogy of a crusader um, crushing the skull of an infidel while yelling Christ is lord um, propositionally some people will say yeah, propositionally, that's true. Right. Christ is indeed Lord, but George Lindbeck is saying that's not true. Mm. It's not that it's not even true. He'll say it's neither true nor false because it's uh, it's meaningless in a way uh, because it's not living. It's it's not inferentially um, consistent with the the confessions and the practice of the church, which is supposed to be peaceable and which mm, is supposed mm-hmm. to be enemy loving. Yep. But if we think that what is most important about truth is its propositional element, we would have to say that the crusader's action may have been wrong, but his speech was still right. And I that, you know struggle, I think that's right? ter- Yeah. It is. Yeah. And so, so 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 you know you used the example of the missionary well, we could kind of say the same thing because it's uh you know, apply this the analogy there too, because well, we have done it in a in, in our colonial missional history, at least in that aspect, where you know, as long as you know, as long as we are um, giving the the spiritual right doctrine and right beliefs to our African slaves, then we don't have to free them. Right. But we would say the their doctrine is not orthodoxy because it's it's not lining up with orthopathos and orthopraxis. Right. Right. Um yeah, this is why truth must be more holistic.
0: Yeah. And and you know Lindbeck for all of his all of his good, there's a lot of people that argue against him. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of Lindbeck and intersystematic truths. There's another one that we could talk about but we don't have time, right? And how we engage with truth communally right as a group versus individually it, it, it's it's a ton but i think this is really important especially if we take that example right this this killing of the infidel and, with the sword and and you know pro- proclaiming christ as lord today and again in in our culture how often do we see the proclamation of christ whether that's social media or that's just personally, while also not caring for the poor or the immigrant or the one who we would proclaim as an enemy, even though we're told to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, right? It's really easy to be a Christian in a propositional truth statement, right? Very much. But it's much harder to be a Christian when we actually engage with the reality that Christianity isn't about pop- propositional truths completely. That is one, as you've been talking about, one aspect. But it's one that must, if we think about George Lindbeck, must be engaged in a holistic reality of the person.
1: Yeah. And so there's, let me t- touch on two. Hopefully I'll remember two. Um, one, I think it was Nicholas Wolterstorff that kind of talks about this. Um, it may have been Plantinga, but I, I think it's Walter Storch. where he says, um, we have many obligations and our and our obligation to truth, or at least kind of in a propositional sense, is just one obligation. And right. it's our context that determines the relevance and the primacy of one obligation over another. You know, so I, I have... I, I have uh, my obligation, my responsibilities as a professor, as a researcher, as a parent, as a husband, you know, and and all these things. And it's in certain contexts where, you know, when I'm at my job, my my professorial obligation uh, supersedes uh, my obligation as a parent. Because if I don't, then I won't be able to make money and I can't take care of my kids anyway, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And he says – uh, something along the lines, like if if our if our obligation to like propositional truth is primary all the time, like that is our primary goal, then why don't we spend all of our time just remembering, memorizing every fact that's out there, even right. the most trivial sports uh, you know history or or fact, Because we're saying that that's true, and therefore that's our highest obligation. Right. Well, obviously that can't be true because if I do that, I'm going to end up having a divorce and have my kids grow up angry at me and resenting me. I have right. relational obligations that supersedes my – right, this embodied orthopathic, orthopraxic uh, obligation that trumps propositional truth depending on the context. Um, gosh, and what was the second one? I told you I might forget
0: well I I love that anyways because I think it's what we need right this recognition that kind of this relational truth often supersedes propositional truth right and we think about how often in our culture today there is this fighting over a belief system or a or a quote unquote propositional truth. Someone won the presidency versus the other person who won the presidency, right? Whichever way you believe, and that may be more belief than scientific truth in so many ways, but whatever you may believe, we can see how often that supersedes that relational truth in the sense of how many people have we seen? How many families have we seen divided, right? Over a propositional truth versus, or an untruth, a propositional untruth, right? Versus what comes, what supersedes that, right? And not to throw out just a proof text for the sake of proof texting, but I think it's it's really clear even, oh, I just did my own cardinal sin and said the Bible's clear. Okay, <laughs> it's not really clear, but upon studying, we see. From our lens, yeah. Yeah, there we go. See, catching myself in my own... uh my own objectivity too, too hard. Um, you know, statements in, in the new Testament, Jesus saying something, not all those who say to me, Lord, Lord Mm -hmm. are going to, going to be with me, right. Going to enter into heaven or be with me or however you want to engage in that statement. And that's clearly a statement about that propositional truth. Right not all those who proclaim something just because you proclaim it doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. Because something I else has to, be.
1: Bankruptcy. <laughs> office, I bankruptcy office. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. No,
0: Wait, <laughs> I was more of a parks and rec person. Okay. We can have a whole other conversation on why and why you're wrong and how I can prove that you're wrong. Uh, you know, absolutely. Objectively, purely yeah. objectively. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And then I Let know that, Please don't rate and review on that statement alone. I recognize I'm the huge minority <laughs> in pitting those two together and, and choosing parks and rec, but go ahead and you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the apps, so we, if we, if we can even use that term, like the, well, the truth is not the world, but God, the person of God is the foundation of truth and and any world that we would know is only true because God created it. So God yes. is the foundation of truth. Well, so, so really like the, tr- the truth that we ought to, um, our, our, our final purpose, our, our final goal of obtaining truth is knowing God and knowing God, not just in mind, but also in body and soul. And,
0: and right. Um, Biblical version of knowing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, Jesus says that they will know you by your love for one another. James says, faith without works is dead. It's not like faith is alive as long as you have right beliefs. No, it's it's holistic, it's embodied. And so there, I mean, yeah, you, you have to, there is this relational, embodied, um, necess- necessary component of embodiment that one must have in order to really say that, that you have truth. And so if we only have propositional truth, yeah, that might be nice. It might make us feel better, like, "Hey, we're on the right side here. We got we're on the side of truth." It's not enough, I think, from a Christian perspective. Right. And and Drew Johnson, he's he's brilliant. I I I, I um, happened upon his work because you know I'm working on Jamie Smith. Jamie Smith is writing about embodiment and postmodern epistemology from uh from a continental philosophical tradition. Uh, Whereas Drew is, and I found Drew because he was coming up with the same ideas, except from scripture. So he's a biblical theologian and and philosopher. Um, And he says that the goal of knowledge in scripture is not knowledge per se, like propositional knowledge. It's understanding and wisdom. Right. So. If we are only, if, if, if our final goal is propositional knowledge, we are not obtaining the level of the type of knowledge that God wants us to have, which is wisdom. Wisdom and understanding goes deeper than mere knowledge as, as any uh, any teacher or, or professor will know regarding like Bloom's taxonomy whatnot. We want to get students out of, out beyond mere knowing memorizing, knowing the facts right. to discerning, constructing, understanding how, why and how something is true and how you can even build upon that truth. Right. And so, you know, let's talk about the, the age of disinformation, whether one is believing in disinformation as true or what whether one has, uh, has the right truth like they ought not be satisfied where right. they are. They ought to pursue further. And you can't do that if God has created us as embodied beings um, because we cannot, it, it, propositional truth is primarily in the domain of reason. Right. H- however, even propositional truth cannot function without emotion. So in, in the famous uh, case of Phineas Gage, he's this guy who got into a horrific accident. Um, he, I think his job was blowing up um, like mountains or whatnot to, to uh, create railroads or whatnot, uh, something like that. And, th- and something went awry once, and he got this metal pole go right through his brain. He survived. Um, but the, the metal bar, uh, destroyed the, the part of the brain that regulates emotions, but it did not touch the part that regulates reason. Hmm. So he could do math, he could, you know, he could do deductive logic and whatnot. So from a kind of cognitive Cartesian understanding of a human being, fundamentally being a rational being, um, They were the the hypothesis was, well, you know, Phineas is going to be all right. He's just he just can't feel emotions. But they realized that he could not regulate his reason, his rational faculties without emotion. Whereas he used to be a pretty good guy after afterward, like he would he would lie, cheat. He would swear. And he just became became a totally uh, a different person because it's it's emotions that allows us to use reason well. Like if you go into a room um, and you're not emotionally intelligent and don't know how to read the room and like everyone's grieving, like right, you might go in there and say, hey guys, how are you doing? Let me let me give let me tell you a joke. Your voice right?
0: acting is on par. <laughs> Thank you. You miss me. <laughs> I do. I do you.
1: I bring joy to your life so much. Um, Yeah, my students get to listen to that all the time. And my voice always kind of goes high. Anyway, I digress. Um, Yeah. So and on top of that, moral psychology and behavioral economics uh, are already telling us or have been telling us for a few decades now that we are not as rational as we think. Right. It's emotions. We're well, they call it emotional irrational or that we are emotional irrational people. I don't think so. If you read philosophy of emotion, um, like, oh, what is his name? He's passed away. Um, but anyway, like they'll say emotion, like this view called cognitive uh, judgment theory, cognitive theory of emotion, they'll say emotion itself is rational cognitive judgment. Hmm. Jonathan Haidt, the moral psychologist, kind of says the same thing. Right. Um, and so. We cannot think that obtaining propositional truth merely through our rational faculties is all we need because we cannot do that unless we use our emotions.
0: Right. It requires the embodied life. And to some degree, to kind of go back a few kind of moments, in that kind of dichotomy of, of this age of disinformation and this age of the proclamation of truth other than this disinformation, what we all need is the emotional intelligence to have the wherewithal to go, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Right. To actually start from the perspective, almost a bit of kind of just that's that having a skeptical mind of our own perception of going maybe the way that I believe about this thing. And, you know, in my own faith journey, that's been incredibly healthy. Yeah. To actually go yet again to the same Christian beliefs that I've some of them being the same that I've had since I was three, right? Before I even really knew knew, right, anything about what I thought I knew. Um some of them I have affirmed. After going back to it again and going, yeah, but really and I'm in, in serious inquiry, inquiry, right? Not like saying, yeah, but really, and then going, yeah, no, I'm fine, I, I got it. And But hey, I'm gonna go grab 10 books on the subject, and I'm going to really, really try to see what is the way that I, I think about this as truth has been more beneficial to my spiritual life than any kind of sense of saying, that's a sacred cow that I can't question. Right, Like that's a propositional truth statement that I can't question. Well, I question things. I question things all the time. Statements such as even Jesus is Lord, right? One of these most fundamental statements that Paul makes in Romans that says, you have to proclaim with your mouth. Now, again, I took that really literally. I took it in a a, a sense that I didn't understand what Paul was doing and what he was telling the the church in Rome under persecution and, and the like. But even asking of that statement, is this true? What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? Has come back full circle to say, I can make this proclamation that Jesus is Lord. But I think I know it in a healthier way today than I would have if I just would have proclaimed it 15 years ago, 20 years ago, without that skeptical approach of going. But do I really know what this means?
1: Yeah, you're acknowledging your status as a finite contingent being who is creator and not creature and so once again kind of re- from, drawing from the reformed uh tradition we need to recognize and maintain our creator creature distinction we are right. not the creator and therefore we can't have absolute truth right and that's why we need this epistemic humility and 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 even question your questioning of even the essential doctrines are not uh, arising from some malicious intent. No, right. you're trying to be faithful. So right. qu- faithful questioning is very much healthy, and that is how we may even better understand God. Um, and, and this is why I think we need we need to really go back to the virtue traditions. What you were talking about, this kind of healthy skepticism, really is. Another way to call that is epistemic humility, right. this humility of the mind, and that is a that's an intellectual virtue, and it's an essential intellectual virtue because it helps through wisdom kind of discern. Okay, wh- where am I lacking here? What can right. I learn better? Where are, where are my blinders? You know, and going back to the embodied uh, kind of postmodern embodied uh, sense with virtue studies, we we can't uh like we need to develop our virtues to use a biblical language it's we need to become sanctified we need to develop the fruit of the spirit and all these other virtues that and that's the only way that's that's really the way to to uh, arrive and to pursue this holistic truth of orthodoxy orthopraxis and whatnot it's an embodied journey if we are if we don't develop the virtues if we don't get sanctified forget about it we might have propositional truth but we might be just we might be jerks right and that's what we are seeing this is something i struggle with and that's why you haven't really seen me on facebook because facebook just draws the worst out of people because in on facebook it's all kind of propositional it's all kind of about deductive logic inductive logic and and propositional statements and it it, Mm. it's a it's a place where we really literally get disembodied our mind gets active but our bodies don't our bodies just are reactive we get angry against the dissenters, we get right. happy with, with my tribe and whatnot. And so the key, if, if my hypothesis is right, that truth is arrived at kind of holistically from an embodied way, then we can't arrive we can't begin to grasp this holistic truth kind of in a in the broadest sense, unless we begin to work on our character. Mm. Unless we become conformed and transformed into the image of Christ, it's right. the only way.
0: Now you're being a little too Pentecostal. So uh, <laughs> I think like I will that,
1: expect an altar call.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll start playing some mood music, throw in some smoke, and we'll invite you all down uh, yeah. to the altar of maybe your car where you're listening <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> uh, Yoon, thanks so much for having this wonderful discussion. I hope it's been helpful for our listeners kind of processing yet again, truth. And, you know, Chris and I have had a lot of podcasts so far this season where we talk a little bit about kind of subjects that touch on this idea of truth, you know, and, and talking about Clark Pinnock who changed his mind and, and can you even change your mind? or Where's your mind changed? Right. Uh theologically going on journeys and Maximus confessor and all things coming from God, right? Like we're kind of hitting on a vein here of recognizing that some of the, the ways that we have approached our Christian reality, faith, theology, living, the actual approaches are in desperate need of changing in order to better, better be with God. Right. Uh, and I just find it interesting that even your, your time with us today has kind of more pushed towards that reality that we keep kind of coming back to with our guests over and over again. So thanks for, for, for being here. Thanks for doing it before we end though. Uh, I know you mentioned it, but go ahead and let our listeners know about your, (sighs) no, I'm not jealous books that are going to be coming (laughs) out. It's not like you've asked me to write a book with you yet, but, um, (laughs) Eventually we'll get there, but go ahead and let them know about that. And clearly you're not on Facebook or at least you're not active on it. Cause you know, it makes you a very terrible human being. I'm just kidding. You're not, <laughs> you're never terrible. Uh, but yeah, let them know. What are your books? When, when can they expect them? If they want to follow along this idea of truth?
1: Yeah. So uh, I touch on that a little bit in, um, Pentecostalism, postmodernism and reform epistemology, James K. A. Smith and the contours of a, uh, postmodern Christian epistemology that's coming out uh, with Lexington Books. I was told November, but I I have a feeling it's gonna be more like December or maybe early next year. And um, our very good friend, Stephen Felix Yeager over at Life Pacific University, um, he and I have been recently contracted with Baker Academic to write a like, freshman level uh, worldview book uh, called Renewing Christian Worldview. So it's a worldview book uh, and kind of intro to philosophy book as well, um, looking at worldview from a renewal or Pentecostal perspective. So we're excited about that. And I'm just I'm just writing Stephen's uh, coattail because not only is he brilliant and he writes a lot, he's also just cool unlike us. He's just cool.
0: Well, excuse you. <laughs> I don't know. Humility,
1: my friend. Oh, that's There's right. This is yeah. virtue, right?
0: No, I'm, I'm definitely not cool. Hey, yeah. you uh, appreciate the time. Good seeing you. I know no one else gets to see you, but me, but, I thank the Lord. uh, It's 10:44 at night. (laughs) I say I won't describe what I get to see right now, uh, (laughs) but it's wonderful. Uh, Yoon, thanks for being with me, and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll have you on again at some point soon. Once you have some other books written, and once you finally invite me to write with you uh, a book, we'll have you back on. Also, I do self promotion. I love it. (laughs) Right. I also do expect a free uh, copy, so you know, (laughs) just throwing that out there too. Hey, uh, for the. 18th false ending thanks so much we'll be back with you all soon and we can't wait to to have you back